recorded live. Hello and welcome to the Virtualization Security Podcast, episode number 190, and I'm here with Michael White of Veeam. Um, Again, what's your role in Veeam, Michael? I'm what's called a field product manager, Um, and I know that sounds pretty weird, but what it actually means is I'm an outbound product manager, meaning most of the product managers can't put their names out in public. Um, or not really put their names out in public, or they don't do podcasts or video things. And yet I do all of those as well as publish papers, and I visit a lot of customers. So, And I know Michael and I have – Michael's been on other podcasts with me. Today I want to cover two things. One is um, this Intel bug that everybody's talking about. And number two is um, effectively, how do you protect yourself from treasure troves of data? So, on and treasure troves are defined as many different things. But we we'll start talking about the Intel bug for a moment. The threat is that it may be possible to pick up cache, basically um, cache inside the CPU of other processes. So the CPU cache is basically on on die memory of things that have been cached from main memory, which is where all the main memory is, um, just your memory chips. And that cache could include things like encryption keys. It may or may not, but there's a possibility for effectively, if you have the right instruction sequence for you to get data that does not belong to the virtual machine you're living in. The thing that catches my attention about this is actually the breadth of the potential impact, meaning when you think about it, there might even be Internet of Things that are impacted. It, it's, like, it's like wherever there's int, um, Intel processors, which if we forget about the home stuff or whatever, just think of the enterprises, I mean... It's everywhere. It's, yeah, it truly, truly is. And so that and now this really attack, makes, this, this, yeah, and it makes a big, huge impact. And this attack is actually only possible because Intel is trying to be smart about scheduling. In other words, they're trying to preload data so that it, it was available for a pro, for uh, CPU instructions to jump around the, the, the context. So it was looking at it was a, basically a look ahead, grab what preload what I'm looking ahead to, and but when it did the preload, it ignored all security. So those that's the risk. Yeah, and I think I remember when they talked about this functionality many years ago with one of the processor releases. But um, I bet they weren't thinking just how expensive it was going to turn out to be. Well... And what the only the, the real fix is to fix it in the kernel. So right now there are rumors that Google, Amazon, Softwire, even Azure, are scheduling reboots of all their hypervisors after they patch the kernel. What do you think, Edward, about all the talk that we've heard that the fix is going to be? Um, I saw one guy who actually measured it, and he said between seventeen and 
23% performance impact to the fix. Uh, he was doing it in, in Linux, but that's that's pretty scary, I think. It's significant because what you're looking at is the benefits of doing the preload and, and the look-ahead that they're talking about is that it keeps the CPU from starving. There's always something to run in the cache. Once you start starving out the CPU, um, performance has a huge, huge problem. You get a huge problem with performance because yeah. it takes more and more to to load the cache is expensive. Effectively, an order um, an order of magnitude more time would take place to get from the cache to main memory. And depending on which memory bank you're going to in a newer architecture, it could take even longer. If the CPU and memory are on the same bank, it's an order of magnitude. But if you're going to another bank, it's another order of magnitude on top of that. So effectively, the farther away your data is that you have to preload, the more expensive it is. This is almost one this of those things that people might choose to not fix based on the performance hit and based on what kind of work they're doing maybe. Well, I don't see a lot of the high-performance computing folks fixing this. Even a five to twenty percent impact will be detrimental to that. I don't see it being fixed in high-performance trading either, yeah. or um, any type of high-performance anything, and mainly because this is a major, major issue. But yeah. I do see it being fixed in things that are not high-performance. Yeah, that's a better way to look at it. Do you think, Edward, um, and I know this is sort of an unfair question, but do you think there might be a way that we can have this maybe not fixed in a way that just simply prevents the exposure, but fixed in a way that it lets some of what's going on continue, but maybe do it in a more secure way? Like, Do you think that's possible here? And that's the big question, and that's what everybody's trying to ask themselves, is do you need this kernel fix to make it happen? And it doesn't shut off the functionality so as much as it does a, um, a fix to the way memory is handled so that things aren't loaded out of, out, of, out of sequence or that the caches are cleared before they're reloaded between processes and, and threats. That's my take on what they're doing. There's a lot of information that is not available. There's a lot of things that have been kept quiet. It's been very uh -huh. disciplined. I hear even employees of Cisco have had to sign something that says, I believe it's embargoed even with them as of the 9th of this month, but I'm not sure. But I have heard that people are saying that they had to sign things. Yeah, there's no no one's going to talk to it until the ninth of this month. It is that big of a deal. Um, One thing that helps me, Edward. That's a it's a it's a, it's a very big problem, and because in order to fix it, you have to reboot everything. Now, um, Mike Foley and I are are very fond of saying that long uptimes are not a sign a badge of honor. Yeah, They're actually right. a badge of dishonor. But now you have to schedule um, your updates. And that's really what's going to boil down to is if, if you want to fix this, how would you schedule your updates? And what would you schedule it on? For example, if you're running a very dense virtual desktop environment, 
how much more system would you need with this fix in place? Exactly. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I how know. How can you plan for that? Yeah. It's very difficult. You would need help to figure that out. You need a tool. You'd need process to sort of help you understand. Well, that. basically, you can you can make a very basic statement saying it's a thirty percent overhead, so I need thirty percent more compute. Yeah. Right. Well, that's a big deal in, it, in those very dense. Yeah, it's guys. it's a huge deal in very high volume virtual desktop environments. So where else would you put the issue, could you actually then say, oh, let me protect the, let's put some more endpoint security in play. Could I do it that way? You think about what they're talking about is the problem is that you can issue commands at the CPU level that would allow you to look at the, pre, the cache data at any time you want. Well, any VM can look at its own cache. Just so you know. The fact so, that I think the defensive in-depth kind of ideas that you and I have talked about before will help prevent some of this potential abuse. Yeah, I mean, you've got to start thinking about, okay, who can look at CPU cache? Well, is that something a generic user should you be able to do? Absolutely not. Could the kernel or system users be able to look at it? Probably some of them. I mean, just think about Windows. It's whatever the context the kernel's running in is the only one that should be able to access that data. If the kernel is running and anybody can access that data, maybe there's a chance to put some mandatory access controls in place. Maybe that's all that's necessary. However, that's also a huge impact. So no matter how you look at this, this is not a small impact situation. Yeah. I'm also worried, Edward, that some of the vendors, I'm thinking like HP as an example, will take the fix and then put it in with their firmware so that even if people are just doing the normal firmware that they do quarterly or monthly or whatever on their hosts, or especially if it's like Dell, they have that beautiful tool that does it, then they might actually get this impact without even knowing. Remember, this is the, current, the first fixes coming out are kernel fixes. So it's not even firmware related to fix it. But, but isn't that how they would apply? I thought it would the be. The kernel fix firmware. doesn't require firmware unless you're talking about an appliance. Oh, interesting. If you're talking I, about a an open networking switch, if you're talking about a NAS or SAN that runs a version of Linux, then yeah, absolutely, that's considered to be firmware. If you're talking about a generic host or a physical box, then it's not. That's just the operating system. I thought there was going to have to be um, a processor change that matched the kernel change. And I thought no, the usually there's was... not. Okay. Usually there's not. Well, this is there could be. I haven't heard. I've heard kernel changes. I haven't heard firmware changes. Well, that's true. That's That's the same with me. And could I, there be I, firmware change? Could there be a firmware fix? For some devices, there absolutely will be because, effectively, when you're running an appliance, the firmware is the operating system. So yeah, I imagine some switches would have to be updated. This is going to be very heavy hitting. The question is, how do you stage it in to have the lowest risk? 
Oh, and the lowest impact end users too, right? Yep. This isn't going to be a – I mean, think about this way. For Amazon to make this change, they have to reboot every server they own. They don't use live migration or vMotion. So what they have to do is shut down every VM on every server, turn it off, I mean, reboot, patch it, reboot it, and then bring up every VM again. Yeah, and they have a They've lot. done this many, many times. This is not the only time they've done this. That's why they use different zones, and they plan for the zones to be brought down differently. Yeah. Right? The biggest problem we have is that the a lot of companies don't use multiple zones, so they're going to be impacted. Yeah, that's for sure. So one of the things is is that instead of using multiple zones, could I go to multiple clouds and not be as impacted? And if both start rebooting their zones at the same time, well, then you're out the luck. Out, out, you're out. So you have to effectively, if you're in one cloud, you may need to temporarily rent space in multiple zones. I think that's likely. I also think that the cloud is where there's going to be more concern for this potentially, because if you actually have a cloud, and I used to know one that did this, they don't anymore, where they would actually have VMs that belong to different customers running on the same host. They still do that. Yeah. So that you never know. So the main thing is is that that's why you want to go that route. But make sure you I mean, if you're talking about mitigation, you need to make sure you mitigate it at your level. I mean, that's the only way there is. Yes. You have to have multiple zones <clears throat> or you just risk the outage. There's so much we don't know. We need to have some serious data to make those plans to understand the risk. Well, the main thing is is that we know they're going to be rebooting all the clouds. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you need to start planning now. Yeah, I mean that's just the way it is. You know it's coming. There's been enough lead-in. There's been enough people talking about it. And now the whole scenario that I brought up is just rumor. It's not the actual attack. That's what we're. It's rumored to be. It could be no one's leaked any information. It's been, everybody's been very closed mouth on it. But we do know that the clouds are going to end up being rebooted. And when you do that, you know, you need to prepare yourself. This is not the first time it's happened. It probably won't be the last. Indeed. I haven't heard any. I've only heard about the bug. I've only heard about a potential exploit. But I haven't. I have only heard about it as well. Okay. Heard about potential. I've heard about the reasons, and I've heard about that's. I've heard rumors that some clouds are rebooting. Well, the clouds rebooting makes sense to me. If it's a kernel fix, it's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. One thing that makes me feel a little better about this, Edward, is that when I worked at VMware, one of I knew this guy, and. He was a special kind of lab guy. What I mean is is all of the processors, all of the system units that vendors were thinking of, they would send a, a copy to VMware. And VMware would run their code on it and see what they found. VMware 
and this guy were very good at finding problems in processors and in system boards. And so anyways, I'm just hoping that maybe VMware has that guy and that lab on this, and they're already investigating, they're already understanding, they're already dissecting and uh, thinking about the customers and thinking about the possibilities. And that makes me feel just a little tiny better about all of this. True. And, I mean, it's it's not like this is the first time something like this has happened. It's not. There have been other patches that have been emergency patches as well. And the first time they went through it was a complete disaster, but every other time after that, it's getting better. They do notify people that your cloud are going to bring down your, your hosts within the next blah, 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 days or hours or whatever it is. And they get you get warning, and that that warning is enough to say, "Hey, launch in the other zone." You may be paying two x, but it keeps you up. So that's what they're counting on is the the way around that problem. Now, in a VMware environment, you just vMotion as you reboot, and you're done. You don't lose any functionality anywhere, which is goodness. You might... The real question is, is I mean, the real question is, is how much of a risk is this? Yeah, but and we just don't know. But also, what I worry about, even in my, my work lab here I have at home, is I also worry about that, while you were saying as a, as a, as a guesstimate, 30%. Is it going to be 30%, in which case that's, that's a big deal? And, so and this is all this is all public information too. I mean, I've read this on the register and along with sysadmin. I mean, a lot of people are commenting on this. Yeah. That there's going to be a performance hit. And if there's a performance hit, you basically need 30% more thing. But you got to also remember, most people outside of clouds that virtualize, or even clouds, are so over under 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 um, utilized even now. Most people are running 20, 30 to one, 20, 15 to 20 to one, maybe even 10 to 15 to one, and their machines aren't really being hammered or used very hard, so the impact will be less than you think. Yeah. It's only when you're running super dense that you start having these issues where performance hits will make a big difference. HPC, big deal. Yeah. Very dense BDI, again, big deal. Outside of that, I don't see it being a huge impact. I know another place that it's going to be an impact. I visited a university a little while back, well, actually a long while back now, that was doing, um, I think, I, I forget, I, I think it was protein, um, I forget the language they used, but it, it was research, and they had really a serious number of Dell machines, and they were mod... Um, they were modeling, I think, protein modules, trying to figure something out. And they were very much using every single bit of that processor. So I think those kinds of research people will be impacted as well. Yeah, and that's true. I mean, everybody, anybody that's running dense or doing something in the high-performance world will be impacted. It's just the only if, ands, ors, or buts about it. They may not want to do that, so they may want to put a security boundary around 
their high-performance environment and somehow mitigate that or use some other form of security to prevent data, exp exp uh, data leakage. Now, here's the thing. It's all based on the fact, if I'm reading it right, is that you're able to access data that doesn't belong to you, okay? Well, in a high-performance computing environment, it's basically all one data set, so the data does belong to you. Yeah, in a VDI environment, that's not the case. The data may not belong to you, so you may have to mitigate it by saying, oh, these people on this host are at this classification level. These people on this host are at another classification level, and break it by host. I worry, though, um, Edward, about if they do that. Which is how they normally do it anyways. They, multiple right. classifications are usually broken across host boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. But what I'm thinking is, depending on how this fix is delivered, might make doing that harder. It might, make mean, it might mean that, hey, we're not going to install this patch right now because we have these other means and we can't give up the performance. But depending on how the patch is delivered, that may be hard to do. If it's part of inline patching from Microsoft or VMware, as an example, it will be hard to avoid doing that. Of, of course. And, I mean, and it's not just servers that are going to be impacted. It's going to be laptops. It's going to be everything. I mean, this is a huge deal. Yeah, it, yeah I forgot that for a moment. You're absolutely correct. The, mi the next Microsoft 10 patch or the next Mac OS patch is probably going to include this. Windows 10 and my, or any of the servers are probably going to include whatever this is, and you will see a performance degradation if you're running super hot. If you're not, you may not run see any difference. It's going to depend. Yeah, like so many. We hate that answer, but it truly is the answer. This will depend on what is fixed and whether or not the vulnerability exists. You know, this doesn't mean everybody should go and hurry out and get AMDs. They have their own issues, and so does, I mean, almost every other processor does as well. But this is a, this could be a major issue. So people, if it is something that you're involved in with a cloud, start thinking about other zones for clouds. If you're talking about a VDI or a high-performance environment, do you have 30% more compute available to you? That's something to think about kind of go to the maximum number. And then if you don't, then the question is, is should we even patch it all based on your risk factor? And that is only, your company is the only one that can decide that. Well, it's good that we don't have to wait much longer than hopefully the ninth to learn a little more so we can start thinking in specifics. Exactly. So this is coming, everybody. Start thinking about it now with the real results will be, we, I mean, everything is kind of like embargoed for a long time. I mean, until next week or a week after. So this is a big deal. So, um, six days from now, it's another week. And that is probably going to give the, the big guys the ability to patch what they need to patch before it becomes known how to do it. But this isn't rocket science. There's only so much you can do. Yeah, very true. But I gotta admit, I'm looking forward to the release notes. <laughs> I'm looking forward to reading them as well. So, on to a different subject. So we covered that again. Plan is the best thing I can do. You just don't accept. Just go ahead and just do some planning. Make sure you got all your ducks in a row. Make sure you know what the impact is going to be. Can you handle a 30% max? 
slow down to your machines. You need to buy 30% more. Um, it's something to think about. The other issue at hand is treasure troves. So if you guys have questions about this, um, follow all the Intel things. But now it's, we're going to talk about treasure troves. There were a number of attacks last year where people found treasure troves of data on clouds. And in, I mean, in GitHub has always been and has all sorts of wonderful data in it as well, where people were able to use that data to attack other folks or had access to credentials that normally would not be out there. This is a this is a very prevalent attack as well, and it's very dangerous. Um, one of them was if the people get to your GitHub repository and you happen to have all sorts of credentials for your Amazon Amazon instances in your GitHub, people are trolling GitHub right now for just that data, and then they'll turn around and log into your Amazon account, add themselves as a user, and start creating Bitcoin miners or whatever they want to there, costing you thousands if not tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars a day. And the only way to solve, to keep away from that is to monitor your accounting as regularly as possible, as in like every five to ten minutes would be ideal. <laughs> but, uh, you do make me smile with five or ten minutes, Edward, but the fact is I've told many people, and I, I think it's really important, that they do watch the account information. I've never said five or ten minutes because, well, you know, the background here is I almost made a $40,000 mistake when I was first playing in the cloud. And um, that wasn't anything more than silliness and stupidity on my part and not knowing what I was doing a little bit. But so accidents, if you catch them, um, especially expensive accidents that happen when you're working in the cloud, sometimes they're easier to mitigate when you know about them sooner. So whether it be accidents, or bad planning, or whether it be Bitcoin mining on behalf of whoever has exploited your vulnerabilities, it's a good thing to do to watch that bill. Yeah, and maybe have. And a you can time. do it as often as you want. I mean, minimally, you should do it every day. Don't wait till the end of month, or you will get hammered. Yeah, yeah. This is like on Amazon and Azure and software. This is like the the main catch of somebody hacking your account. Yeah. And however Yeah. And not however, this is not the first time that's been done. I mean there's a book called The Cuckoo's Egg where um the guy found a sixty seven or seventy two cent difference and couldn't figure out what it was and it led to the catching of a major crime ring. That was an amazing book actually. Yeah. Clifford Stoll. Yes, that's right. What I was going to say is that even on uh, VMware's cloud on AWS, either now or in the next few days, something like that, their UI will have the ability for you to check your bill online instead of waiting until it's actually delivered to you. What I'd like to see in all of those services um, is actually an alerting mechanism so you can actually set an alert for unreasonable billing activity, so you're notified instantly. That might actually be useful. Yes, and that's that's actually absolutely required. Um, and that's that's one of the things is if you can get that alert, use it. I mean, absolutely. Treasure troves are dangerous. 
And the reason why they're dangerous is people that put them out there don't know they're out there. So one of the things is, is that I just updated my tool. I wrote a, a pre-commit hook for Git. So if you're using GitHub or any of the Git tools, you can go to um, github.com slash will. There is a project in there called AACLib, and in there is one called Hooks. I just updated it to work with Mac OS. So now it will work with Mac OS and, and Linux. And all it does is run a script to do basically checking to see if there's IP addresses and passwords, as well as some other forms of PII and um, credit card information and so forth, so some PCI. It just runs a script and says, okay, scan everything for this information, and if I find it, log it and also report on it. And don't let the commit happen. So basically it won't even allow you to commit because it found something that shouldn't be in there. That's pretty good. That's pretty important because we know of examples where people have left things in their code that bad guys have been able to exploit. Yes, and so you can actually use this similar pre-commits type of things as a as a way to send data up to S3, for example. You could literally go through a, a um, proxy that did the exact same thing, looking for PCI, PII type data, or even IP addresses or anything like that, and then stripping it out. You could also do the same thing with logs. It's very worth it of doing. I do know that sometimes people say there isn't much PII in things like that, but um, I hmm. happen to know that that's not true, that there is way more than people realize. And so being able Yeah, he used to work at Data Gravity, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and that's where I saw a lot of PII where people were positive there was none. So yeah. this is a really so good idea. Data Gravity is a company that does some of this for repositories as well, storage repositories. Now, Data Gravity got bought by HITRUST. HITRUST now renamed it as Cloud Advisor. So if you're looking at a tool to do that and start rolling your own, that's a tool that will do exactly what we're talking about. It will allow you to inspect your storage repositories in the cloud for PII, PCI, and other things that shouldn't be there, like HIPAA data as well. The and people like say to... there's none there are fooling themselves. Oh, absolutely. And the tools like the one that you've done or the pay one, you know, like um, Cloud Advisor, what I like is how they give the ability to have actions. So in your yes. script, it stops the publication with Cloud Advisor. It can, it can actually boot a user off or it can encrypt something or it, it, it can notify you. You know, you can do a variety of different things that is appropriate. And so alerting is one part of the solution or maybe of the mitigation, but an action actually helps protect the company so much more than an alert. Yeah, and this is this is something we need to be worried, wary about is these treasure troves of data. And it could be just a single piece of data that would be the treasure trove, i.e. your Amazon key. So to the hackers looking at GitHub, that's a big, big, big deal. They find it, they use it immediately, and if you shut them off even 20 minutes later, they've already used $500 to $1,000 of your machines. They don't move slow. They automatically scan all public GitHub repositories and private ones they can access, automatically get the keys, automatically log in, automatically create VMs, automatically start doing something. And just think that they're just stealing cycles from you. 
But if they can do that, they could actually be even more disastrous and start deleting things on you. There's no end to the to what they can actually do, and and in some ways, where some of this has actually occurred, where what they're doing is Bitcoin mining, which means they're using up your money to generate money for them. That that in a way is small, but it it has a big impact, right? You're losing money, but at least they're not deleting your data or changing your data. But the fact Absolutely. is, you need to stop all of that from happening. You have to be prepared. And that's why you need tools like this. And the reason why I'm mentioning this one now, especially the get pre-commit, is that there's a lot of people, and I got a guy coming to me and says, oh, I tried it out. This is great. I've never seen it anywhere else. And what mine was is a simple search of another couple of websites for a list of about 30 or 40 or actually, um, yeah, 30 or 40 different PII, PCI elements to scan for. It's not the fastest thing in the world, but it does the trick. And when you start thinking about that, it's like, okay, but there are third-party tools out there that will do it faster and better and more complete. But once you have an idea of what you're doing, you now know what to scan for. So if I was an attorney's office, I would start looking for case numbers. Those aren't normal. They're different for every attorney, attorney's office. If I'm using a cloud or if I'm doing anything, I would start making sure case numbers did not get out, especially for old cases or current cases. I would say, okay, you can't publish that. Sorry. Yeah, and and case numbers are really handy actually, because um, it sounds weird, but case numbers occur in a trend, in a pattern. Yep. And so when you see something doesn't fit the pattern, which is actually sort of easy to do, uh, then that's a clue. That's an, an indication to go look. Uh, but uh, before yeah. we go on, um, I just want to mention something humorous here, Edward. That if someone is Googling Treasure Trove to see a little more about what we're doing, I see one here that's sort of funny uh, and uh, Canadian, actually. But someone has created a Treasure tro- Trove of Arctic research data from universities and research organizations around the world. That's not what we're talking about. But Treasure Troves that are filled with company data, that's a little different. That's what we're talking about. Exactly. And it's happening more and more frequently. I mean, that's the funny thing. It was like Accenture put out a a whole treasure trove of data which had credentials. I mean, for thousands of the customers. It wasn't just a small amount. It was a large number. Right? And A&T has done something with this as well with some S3 buckets that they let out into the wild. Yep, that's what Accenture did was S3 buckets. So this is why, and then you got GitHub as a whole different ball of wax. That's even, I'm not sure which one's more dangerous. They're both equally as dangerous. So not only that, if you are in a, the other treasure troves of data are the dumps of hacks. So people can are dumping up on various things the actual output of a hack. That's a treasure trove of data as well, and that may be personal. So we start thinking about all this. It's not just business, but personal you need to figure out if you're being hit. And you need to be you need to watch this stuff. No one's going to do it for you. The the repercussions are interesting. I'll give an example. A while back I got a an email, you know, a phishing email 
purporting to be from my bank. But it was able to target me, because I actually talked to the bank about it, because some other information had been found by the bad guys. And it wasn't truly uh, scary information. It was very straightforward, very basic. But it allowed them to do more targeted phishing attempts. Uh, And this phishing attempt was spectacularly well done. In fact, that's why I called the bank and said, hey, I got the most extraordinary example of phishing, and they were quite interested. But these treasure troves, even when we're talking personal, they can produce information that the bad guys are able to use to better target people or organizations. So whether it be a direct ripoff or whether it be using uh, the information to spin up VMs and doing Bitcoin mining, but it also can be just plain old information used to better target people in your typical scams. It's all something to worry about. Yes. And this is the big things that we need to think. Everybody needs to think about this stuff. It's not just businesses that do. It's not just vendors that do. It's the whole, just like the Intel bug, it's going to impact everybody. And everybody needs to be ready to handle it in some fashion. One way is trying not to let the data get out. So what I'm looking at in 2018, I think that you, when you think about 2018, I think what we're going to see a lot more about data management than we have in the past. Right now, there's a lot about data protection, but I think we need a lot about data management. In other words, knowing where our data is at any given time and And what's in it. Yeah, and that's really true. And we've been moving towards that goal for some time, but it's actually tough. It takes serious thought and work because our data, and when I say our data, it, it can be a corporate entity or it could be a personal entity. It doesn't really matter. The amount of places your data resides is extraordinary. And when you add into the discussion your metadata, that's in even more places. And together, uh, it's, it, it's sort of scary. It's overwhelming when you start looking into it. Yes, it is. So I'm going to, we're leaving you on two scary thoughts right now because we definitely have to close out the call. Um, this was a short one. One is is that the Intel bug, prepare for it. I mean, the the patching is going to go on. People are already being warned that things are going to happen. So when you get warned, if you're in a cloud, plan ahead. Um, We have been told 30% overhead. You may have to plan ahead for that for some areas. You may may decide that the risk isn't high enough for your organization and you have other mitigations. Find out what those are and, and, and work towards them best thing I can do is do some planning and upfront thought. Now we're talking about treasure troves. It's the same thing. You can't just say, I'm not going to do it. You need to plan how you're not going to do this. You're going to also plan your response. So you have to mitigate or at least log what's happening as well as know how to respond to it when it happens to you. Would you agree? Oh, I definitely agree. I I also think the treasure trove, one of the mitigations and one of the defense mechanisms goes back to what we've talked about before, defense in depth. 
There are tools, there's process, there's training for people. There's a lot of things that can be done to better improve your security posture, which also helps with avoiding you becoming a treasure trove that can be done. Exactly. So I'd like to end it on those those glorious thoughts there. We gave you some actionable evidence. I know this stuff is fairly scary, but it's it's a big deal. And 2018, I think we're going to see more of it. So everybody, thank you for joining us. Listen to the next Virtualization and Cloud Security podcast. It should be coming in a couple of weeks. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Thank and by you. the way, check out Michael's blog at, what is it again? Notesfrommwhite.net. And Michael has an, a, a monthly newsletter that he sends out links for a whole bunch of stuff, so it's very good to, to get involved with that. You can also check out my blog at astroarch.com slash blog and thevirtualizationpractice.com. Thank you so much, and have a great day. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.